Ladies and gents, how do you do? Larry G. McGuire here. Welcome along to the LARP podcast. I'm your host, uh, uh, writer over at LarryGMcGuire.com. And it's been a while since you've heard from me, the 3rd of February since the last episode. And I've been lying low, heading the books, studying, uh, trying to get over exams. And they're done now, thankfully, for now. Back in September for the final year. Uh, and I'm back writing and recording. And I've got a new episode today for you. Uh, it's about a man called Buckminster Fuller. If you haven't heard about Buckminster Fuller, I've got some stuff that um, I think is quite interesting. And uh, it strikes a tone with me with regard to the Artist Manifesto, which you've heard about before. If you haven't read about or uh, heard of the Artist Manifesto before, get over to LarryGMcGuire.com and you can download the first couple of chapters and check that out. I'm still writing it, by the way. And you know what? Those two chapters might not necessarily make it into the final book, but um, you can get what I've completed to date. Uh, if you uh, enter your email address, hit the send me button, whatever it is, and I'll send them on to you. Anyway, um, I'm back with a vengeance and uh, I'm looking forward to getting some new material out. Um, for the first time, I think ever, I've actually got planned out the next eight weeks of content. Um, today's article is titled The 22 Self-Disciplines of Buckminster Fuller. Uh, coming up after that, we've got a, 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 another bunch of stuff. <laughs> uh, the next one is Analogical Thinking, A Method for Solving Problems. Up after that, on the 19th, we've got How to Make Rational Decisions. On the 26th, I've got another article about someone who's impressed me a lot, um, Benoit Mandelbrot. He was a mathematician. Uh, the title of that article, I haven't decided yet, but something around the, the fractalist. Um, on the 2nd of June, I'm talking about false democracy and the prolifera proliferation of stupidity. On the 9th, I'm talking about lateral thinking. On the 16th, the illusion of conscious thought. And on the 23rd, how to annihilate yourself. Those titles may change, but uh, the theme that I've decided to focus on going forward, um, although it's not completely new, is human performance and creative expertise. You'll notice around the site there's been some changes. I've given a, a bit of a lick of paint and focused uh, how the content is put together and stuff uh, around those terms, you know, human performance and creative expertise. I've, I've probably been speaking about this stuff for a while, but it just um, seemed to me that I needed to kind of refine how I packaged what I was doing a little bit. So uh, you'll see some changes. Um in the nature of the content, it's more focused and practical, I think. Uh, I'll be t taking a look at some influential scientists and uh, philosophers and thinkers of our time. I'll be looking at uh, the material they produced and maybe how it's influencing me. In recent times, as I turn my head to look at my bookshelf, I've amassed so many uh, books on uh, nonfiction stuff um, from people like uh, Sean Carroll, uh, Julian Barber, Richard Feynman, uh, uh, Sixcent Mihai, I've got uh, Benoit Mandelbrot, Sigmund Freud, um, Deep Work by Cal Newport I'm looking at. Um, I've got some fiction too, but um, I've got uh, Carl Jung, 
the phenomenon of man by Pierre Pierre Telhard de Chardin. I'll be talking about him too. I've got a bunch of stuff. So I've a, probably a lifetime of material that I could write about over here. And if I never bought another book again, well then uh, it wouldn't matter. But I've I've developed a bit of an addiction to buying books and and I'm consuming these uh, these books and I hope to report uh, what I find and how it relates this whole idea of human performance and creative expertise. So that's kind of it in a nutshell, where my mind has been uh, around the content that I create. And some of that content will be open and accessible for everybody, and some of it will be uh, restricted for patrons only. Um, If you're not already a patron, go over to patreon.com forward slash Larry G. McGuire, where you can contribute towards uh, the effort um, and the content that I create by becoming a patron for as little as a dollar a month. And uh, if you do so, I'd be very grateful. It helped me um, keep the lights on, keep the wolf from the door, as they say, you know, pay a few uh, college fees and stuff. But anyway, uh, back to the content for today. I'm talking about uh, Buckminster Fuller. Um, as I said, uh, or did I say, you know, in recording these uh, podcasts, it takes a few goes to get it right. I get into the swing of it, certainly when you've been out of mix for a few months. So I don't know whether I told you a little bit more about Buckminster Fuller yet, or was it in one of the uh, previous segments that I've deleted? I don't know, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, he's one of the most influential minds of our time, born in 1895 or six, something like that. Uh, he served in the U.S. Navy in World War One, left the Navy, uh, started a business. Um, he married his wife. They lost their first child. That was a big deal for any for any parent. It's a big deal, um, no less for him and his wife. Um, Shortly after, he started his own business. His business failed, and he was close to the point of suicide in the depths of depression. But he managed to come out of it, and he uh, subsequently dedicated his life to creating things, to coming up with ideas, to solve worldwide problems, uh, simply for the sake of, of solving the problem, to make life better for humanity as a whole, rather than lying in his pockets or other uh, self-obsessed reason. Um, Not that he cast any judgment on that necessarily, on how most people do business, etc. But he felt that when he was engaged in something meaningful and purposeful, uh, beyond the scope or beyond the the needs of, of himself and his family and those directly related to him, uh, and, and more so on a global scale, well, then things tend to tended to benefit him. He tended to get paid. He tended to do well. But when he focused on himself, it turns to turn to shit. And I can relate to that. And that's why I chose to write about this today is because um, I certainly, on reflection uh, of my own fuck-ups and mistakes and errors and what have you, uh, think about how I made my biggest mistakes was when I actually... Uh, uh, applied effort to succeed, you know, 
Whereas the greatest things, and I've written about this before, the greatest things that I've had occur um, in my life have come about on their own, by their own accord, by virtue of just getting into something for the sake of it. So that's what attracted me to Fuller's stuff and why I'm writing about them today. So I'm going to get into that now and read for you uh, the 22 self-disciplines of Buckminster Fuller. Sunday Letters, the 5th of May, 2019. The 22 self-disciplines of Buckminster Fuller. In 1927, Buckminster Fuller found himself in financial ruin and personal turmoil. His first child had died five years earlier and his business had recently failed, leaving him broke with family and friends who invested in him at a loss. He drank heavily and was depressed and contemplated suicide, but then something changed. As he considered drowning himself in Lake Michigan, he had an epiphany and began to redesign his life. The 22 self-disciplines he subsequently established were to become the foundation of a successful career as an inventor, design architect and philosopher. Despite the absence of any third-level degree, he lectured at universities and became a significant influence on the formation of ideas and work of subsequent generations. I'm not precisely sure how I came first to read the work of R. Buckminster Fuller, I suspect it was through an advocate of his, philosopher and author Alan Watts perhaps, in one or more of the many Watts lectures I've managed to gather over the years. Regardless, certain people come our way who make an indelible impact on our thinking, and Buckminster Fuller, for me, has been one of these people. Fuller believed in a universe that was generative and self-supporting, self-sustaining and built with the inherent ability to provide substantially for all life forms it contained. Within the fabric and structure of this self-supporting universe, he postulated a self-managing universal accounting system that ensured success and abundance for all life on Earth and beyond. However, opposingly, he highlighted the folly of what he called the selfish and fearfully contrived wealth games that humanity plays under a misinformed survival of the fittest ideology. In the playing of these wealth games, he highlighted humanity would ultimately destroy itself However, in that, he offered a solution. If an individual free from the constraints of dogma and group ideology was to attempt by all resources available to him or her and through non-self-centred motivation to create real solutions to humanity's problems, then in our inevitable evolution towards better, we would adopt these solutions. In today's Sunday Letters article, I take a look at a tiny but essential aspect of Fuller's work self-made commitments that reflected his core values and directed his life's work towards solutions to global problems and the advancement of all life on the planet, something to which he suggests that no nation, private enterprise, religion or other multi-people bias-fostering combination of individuals has ever managed to accomplish. My personal assertion is that given the current momentum and direction of human development, we will eventually destroy ourselves, despite the honourable efforts of people like Buckminster Fuller. In our self-destruction, we will exercise the very self-sustaining forces of the universe highlighted by Fuller, because the survival of the Gestalt entity will always supersede the survival of any individual species. It can never be any other way. The whole the whole will always seek out homeostasis. 
equilibrium at the expense of any individual entity or species. I want to be wrong, but given our current stage of evolution, propagandists and peddlers of fear have far too significant an influence over us. The vast majority of people only know self through our associations with the larger group, the collective self, and it is through this group identity that our thoughts and beliefs are sculpted, sculptured. Our thoughts are automatic and predictable. We crave more things, higher social status and acceptance, even down to our micro-social interactions. Paradoxically, it is in this attempt to find validation of self through the relationship with others and the broader society that we become incapable of seeing our true selves and therefore the impact of our actions on our collective existence. Who was Buckminster Fuller? Richard Buckminster Fuller was a highly regarded and respected 20th century inventor and visionary, but it didn't start out that way. He was born in Milton, Massachusetts on July 12, 1895 to Richard Buckminster Fuller Sr. and Caroline Walcott Andrews. In 1913, Fuller entered Harvard University, but shortly afterwards was dismissed for excessive socialising and missing exams. Afterwards, he spent time working in a sawmill and, after unsuccessfully attempting to renew his Harvard education, he later joined the US Navy, where he became an officer. After the Navy and World War I, Fuller entered the business world. He joined his father-in-law in the construction industry, opening four factories cre- creating building products. But the business ultimately failed, leaving Fuller penniless and disgraced, losing investments made by family and friends in the process. Such was the financial loss and the loss to his sense of self. It is said that he pro- became profoundly depressed and contemplated suicide, spending nearly two years as a recluse in deep contemplation about the nature of his relationship to the world and the broader universe. He realized that he had no right to end his own life. Instead, he decided to discover how he could make the most valuable contribution to the whole of humanity through the systematic design and application of technology. Buckminster Fuller realized that society was preoccupied with individual, local and national focused issues. In the pursuit of self-serving interests, it was impossible for politicians, business leaders and those of influence to give credence to global problems with any true conviction. The political vision was too narrow. Collective thinking was too short term. When we see our lives as finite and as opposed to everlasting through subsequent generations of human beings, when we cannot see beyond the scope of our own self-interests, when we fear loss, it becomes impossible to serve humanity as a whole. Resources seem finite in this finite state of mind, and therefore we justify all kinds of abhorrent acts in pursuit of growth and survival. To Fuller, it seemed clear that only an individual operating on their own economic and philosophical initiative could reveal the solutions required to humanity's global problems. Fuller subsequently decided to dedicate his life to creating a world that works for all humanity equally rather than the gilded 1%. He became a practical philosopher, demonstrating his universal concepts through inventions which he termed artefacts. Fuller did not limit himself to one field, but worked as a comprehensive anticipatory design scientist to solve global problems associated with education, energy, environmental destruction and poverty. Throughout his life, Fuller held 28 patents, wrote 28 books 
and was in receipt of 47 honorary degrees. Produced over 300,000 times worldwide, Fuller's most well-known artefact and greatest monetary claim to fame is the geodesic dome, the hemispherical structure based on a geodesic polyhedron. Upon reading of Buckminster Fuller's business failure, his story appeared to have a greater weight and significance for me. I could relate. With his time spent in solitude, I could relate. I felt further vindicated and redeemed for the experience of my own failures. It's a strange feeling when we find others out there on the ragged rim of life who have gone through things we have. There is a camaraderie, a kinship and an understanding. It seems you are cut from the same cloth. We have to be careful, however, not to congratulate ourselves too much or indeed wallow in our defeat. Reading Critical Path, Fuller's final published book, there is certainly not the sense of his wallowing in that first defeat. On the contrary, after his emergence from the cocoon of his two-year self-imposed solitude, it seems he had the seed of something diametrically opposed to that first failure, something that would subsequently grow exponentially bigger, as he predicted. Other things Fuller wrote about, such as spontaneously engendered support, resonated with me too. We'll discuss this principle a little later on, but for now it's sufficient to note that Fuller believed if he were working for the benefit of all humanity, then the necessary support required would appear when needed. It served to reinforce for me the ideas that were coming together in the Artists' Manifesto. At that point in 1927, where Fuller found himself at his absolute low and contemplating suicide, with a young family, penniless, and as he put it, a throwaway in the business world, he made a series of resolutions. These self-disciplines, coupled with those formed in his early life, would prove to be the solid ground upon which he was to build a life and work of success. In Chapter 4 of Critical Path, Fuller outlines 22 self-disciplines, although the first six or seven don't seem like self-disciplines to me. Instead, they seem like ideas planted in his young head by others around him or significant instances in his early life that subsequently led to the established self-disciplines that would guide his career. Regardless, he had a unique style of writing, so I will be faithful as possible to the book and include them as he has done. Self-discipline number one. Never mind what you think. Listen. Fuller's mother said it. His teacher said it. Every grown-up authority he knew said it. Thinking wasn't something one could engage in without the supervision of those who knew better, and children certainly were not to be trusted to think for themselves. As he put it, thinking was considered to be an utterly unreliable process when spontaneously attempted by youth. So he did what he was told for a while. Self-discipline number two. Love thy, neighbor, love thy neighbor. Fuller was raised in the Unitarian Church where his grandfather was a preacher. His grandmother taught him to love thy neighbor as thyself. Do unto others as you would they do unto you. Although it, seemed, although it seems he left aside the dogmatic ideology of his religion in favor of experience-based scientific facts, a concept of God seemed to stay with Fuller albeit somewhat different to traditional religionist thinking. Self-discipline number three, life is hard. As he grew older, his uncles and other males of influence in his family began to preach opposite of his grandmother's Christian principle. They reinforced the idea that life was hard and that although grandmother's rule was a nice one, it wasn't practical. 
his uncle's life is hard principle encouraged young Richard to accept that if he were to provide for himself and a family, then he would have to deprive other people of a comfortable life. Survival of the fittest took over. Self-discipline number four, follow the rules. The rules seemed to be written by others and Fuller began to accept that he needed to follow them. He ignored his own thinking and trained himself as you were trained to play football to follow the rules of the game of life. Self-discipline number five, learn to cope. With this ideology taking firm hold, it seemed that he couldn't bring himself to win over and sacrifice others to his own ends. After leaving the Navy and finding himself in the competition-based business world, he turned out, as he called it, a spontaneous failure. He says, I was sure I could cope with hardship better than the other guy, so I would yield. It seems he struggled to operate in this doggy dog world of business. Self-discipline number six, form an integrated self. In 1907, it was poet Robert Burns who inspired Fuller with his 1786 poem, To a Loose, and the line, Awad some power de gift de us, to see ourselves as others see us. Fuller opted to integrate the self he saw as him with the self others saw and to deal as objectively as possible with the world around him. With this conviction, he began to record his life in what he called the chronophile, which consists of every written record of his engagements, both good and bad, with the world and others in it. Today, Fuller's chronophile is housed at Stanford University and contains an, an entire account of his life and work from that fateful day in 1907. Self-discipline number seven. See oneself as an experiment. After his return from the edge of despair, Fuller thought to set himself as the subject in a lifelong experiment with himself as the guinea pig. The experiment was designed to uncover what, if anything, a healthy young male of average size, experience and capability with dependence, no capital or access to credit, could do to effectively alter the fortunes of humanity. A brave move, something that goes against popular convention and advice one would expect to receive given Fuller's financial condition at the time. Later in the book, he admits that things did not always go to plan. Sometimes he had to take jobs to pay bills, but eventually he would return to his base commitment and continue his experiment. Self-discipline number eight, serve all humanity. Perhaps an idealistic and naive position to take, Fuller dedicated himself to provide solutions to all humanity's problems and to serve the interests through his work of all human beings as opposed to traditional personal and business motivations which aim to serve self first and foremost. He insists that the decision was not taken recklessly or on a naively altruistic basis, but rather on the basis of evidence contained in his chronophile, which demonstrated that when he was motivated to serve others, then he would be adequately compensated. Self-discipline number nine, do your own thinking. He sought to do all his own thinking, confining it to information gained directly from his personal experience. He sought to move from a centered place of innate motivational integrity rather than trying to accommodate the opinions, values and theories of other people. Self-discipline number 10, never at the cost of others. He sought to pursue and develop his ideas for the benefit of everybody and at the expense or cost to nobody.
self-discipline number 11, emancipate human- humanity from unfavorable conditions. Buckminster Fuller sought to reduce his technological ideas to physically working models designed to counter existing unfavorable conditions, predominant customs and societal afflictions, so much so that he could emancipate human beings from their unfavorable conditions. These new inventions would provide society with technological advances and reforms that previously proved impossible by social reform. He sought to reform the environment through technology, not human beings. Self-discipline number 12, never promote oneself. Fuller sought never to promote or sell himself or pay anyone else to do so. A remarkable position to take, given the extent of detail, which I am not fully aware. However, this self-discipline is very interesting. For how does someone spread the word about their product or service if you were not to promote it? This question needs further investigation on my part. He went on to say that he would never hire agents or personnel who would solicit the support of any kind for his work. He held that humanity would adopt his new systems and inventions when and where there became a survival need which would come about by evolutionary process. Self-discipline number 13, develop patience. Fuller assumed that nature and the universe as a whole had its own unique gestation period, not only for biological elements, but for technological inventions also. Self-discipline number 14, accept the spontaneity of acceptance. Fuller believed that humanity would inevitably adopt the devices and systems he created, and so he sought to develop his artifacts with the necessary time margin anticipated. In other words, he believed that there was no need to rush his work or push or pressure for his ideas to be adopted. He assumed that nature would evaluate his work as he progressed, providing he worked with nature's fundamental principles. Self-discipline number 15, learn from mistakes. He sought to learn the most from his mistakes, but never to ponder in worry or procrastination. When he did so, he felt sad, but when he always sought to learn and progress, he felt happy. Therefore, the way forward was practical. Self-discipline number 16, waste no time in worry. As mentioned earlier, Fuller sought not to ponder failure and instead, as he put it, I sought to increase time invested in discovery of technological effectiveness. Self-discipline number 17. Document progress in the official records. Fuller had no university degree, so in order to document his progress in the public records, he sought patents for all his inventions. Some of these expired worthless. Some provided an income, but as he stresses in critical path, his motive was not to make money from the patents. Self-discipline number 18. Comprehend the principles of regenerative universe. Above all, Fuller sought to understand and work with the fundamental principles of what he termed eternally regenerative universe and subsequently implement these principles in the design and manufacture of his artifacts. Self-discipline number 19. Educate oneself comprehensively. The breadth and depth of scientific knowledge is vast, but that didn't stop Fuller from Fuller from undertaking the comprehensive education of himself. He sought to digest 
comprehensively the inventory of human understanding of all chemical compounds, weights, performance characteristics, and effect of interalloyability, and so on. It didn't stop there. Fuller undertook to consume all the data he could related to economics, global demographics, energy production, capabilities, logistics, and vital statistics amassed by human beings. A tall order. Self-discipline 20. Operate on a do-it-yourself basis. He sought only to operate as a business of one, a remarkable undertaking, I'm sure you'll agree. If he couldn't do it by his own ingenuity, then it wouldn't be done. Self-discipline number 21. Provide advantage to new life. Inspired by the healthy birth of his second child, Allegra, in 1927, Fuller says, I oriented what I called my comprehensive anticipatory design science strategies to primarily advantage new life born within the environment controlling devices I was designing and developing. He realized the problems humanity encountered would take 50 years or more to solve and organized groups such as governments and corporations were incapable of providing the solutions for his daughter and all new human life to live in a better world, he would have to get his hands dirty. Self-discipline number 22, the role of God. Given Fuller's religious upbringing, it seems from reading his work that he needed to somehow integrate the God of his religion into the set of beliefs he had built based on scientific knowledge and personal experience. For many of us, God does not belong in science. However, I believe that a God can be reconcilable with science and the fundamental laws of the universe. Buckminster Fuller understood the same, it seems. In his final note on his self-disciplines, he refers to this final one as perhaps containing the greatest weight and influence. As such, I think it best to offer Fuller in his own words. At the outset of my resolve, not only to do my own thinking, but to keep that thinking concerned only with directly experienced evidence, I resolved to abandon completely all that I had ever been taught to believe. Experience had demonstrated to me that most people had an authority-trusting sense that persuaded them to believingly accept the dogma and legends of one religious group or another and to join that group's formalized worship of God. I asked myself whether I had any direct experiences in life that made me have to assume a greater intellect than that of humans to be operative in universe. I said to myself, I am overwhelmed by the only experientially discovered evidence of an a priori eternal, omnicomprehensive, infinitely and exquisitely concerned intellectual integrity that we may call God, though knowing that in whatever way we humans refer to this integrity, it will always be an inadequate expression of its cosmic omniscience and omnipotence. Buckminster Fuller. A final word. It appears to me that for Buckminster Fuller, in the depth of his depression and upon the imminent destruction of self, there appeared in his consciousness a greater meaning and purpose for his survival than he understood himself to represent. In this he found a reason to live and to play the game at the highest level he could. His achievements were remarkable and I have significant admiration for him, but I don't see it as imperative for myself or anyone else to attempt to emulate the likes of Buckminster Fuller and his achievements. That is not the purpose of this article. To attempt to, attempt to do so, in my opinion, is naive and foolish because he was him and I am me and you are you. 
We are meant to be who we will be. And although we can admire the achievements of great people, we must accept that they are as unique as we are. Motivational speakers and writers, personal development gurus and such like, are perhaps well-meaning in their presentation of remarkable people as the benchmark for human performance and achievement. However, they are often misguided in their intentions. We each have a responsibility to only ourselves, to be true to whatever it is that calls us. Buckminster Fuller was the perfect example of this for me. Sure, let's take inspiration from other people, but in honour of Buckminster Fuller's ninth self-discipline, let's not allow others' experiences to dictate our direction. So that was Sunday Letters, uh, the 5th of May. Thanks. It is May, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Thanks for listening. And uh, I've got more of this stuff for you next week. If you'd like to read uh, the article and download the uh, PDF version, you can do so over at larrygmaguire.com. And uh, this article will be top of the pile there on the homepage. Uh, it's a chunky article, and um, there's a few links in there too to resources uh, that I used in um, researching for the for the for the article this week. So do check that out. Um, I want to thank you for uh, your time taking a listen this week. Uh, if you'd like to support the work I'm doing, uh, get over to patreon.com forward slash Larry G. McGuire and you can support the show for as little as a dollar a month. And that helps me um, put the time into uh, writing these articles and uh, creating these podcasts. So again, that URL is patreon.com forward slash Larry G. McGuire, where you can become a patron of mine for as little as a, as a dollar a month. And uh, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, I'm sure you'll agree. Buckminster Fuller was kind of a remarkable individual. He he certainly didn't come from traditional scientific uh, uh, background. Um, although he tried, he didn't he didn't uh, continue his education in Harvard. Um, everything he learned and discovered, he did so on his own, and uh, with the ultimate goal of showing what one individual can do when they put their mind to it. Um, and uh, I have a lot of regard for him. The book, I'm not finished yet. It's called Critical Path. Um, it seemingly was his last book, and he died in 1983. Um, heart attack, I think. His wife was ill in hospital. She was dying, and he went to see her, and he had a heart attack, and he died, and then she popped her clogs uh, 36 hours later. So they went out together. Um, it's a good way to go. Uh, they'd probably been through a hell of a lot over the years, but ultimately his work was vindicated through uh, the commercialization of the ideas that he that he formulated and that he patented. Uh, and um, it's something to be admired. So that's it from me for now. Uh, next week I'm talking about analogical thinking. I'll be touching on stuff from the likes of Edward de Bono and... Um, He's a, he's a big uh, uh, name in the whole uh, concept of lateral thinking and uh, solving problems uh, through uh, lateral thinking and, and analogical thinking and different means of solving problems. So uh, I'm looking forward to getting that out to you. Um, and that's it for now. So thanks for listening and uh, I'll check you next week. All right. I'm back every week, by the way, between now and September. When I go back to college, I'll probably drop off the air again. But uh, between now and then, you'll get me weekly. Okay, take care and thanks for listening. All the best.